0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Before we start today, just wanted to apologize for the issue with the audio quality On yesterday's episode, unfortunately, it looks like it was something with the recording that we did Monday evening, so it persists in this episode. Again, we apologize for that, and we'll get it cleaned up before we record again this week. All right, enjoy the episode. Hopefully, you can with the issue. We're reviewing our FFPC Best Ball Tournament team on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We are two of the owners at RotoViz, and we are currently drafting in an FFPC best ball tournament draft. This is of the slow variety. So Curtis and I, the last couple of days, have been bouncing thoughts back and forth off of each other as we navigate this draft. We will be talking about my wide receiver and tight end projections later in the week. Wanted to switch things up here, especially as I believe we are on the clock, Curtis. Is that correct?
2: Oh, yeah. We're on the clock, baby. And I, I this is a cool team. We've got some exposure to players on on this particular squad that I don't have as much of in this tournament. So this is going to be one that I'm constantly watching um, all season. So it'd be fun to, to make this pick at 9-5. Uh, while we're chatting here, kind of want to reverse engineer what we should do at the 9.5 by looking at what we could assume to happen yep. and the rounds to follow. Um, but as we get into reviewing this team, let's talk about one of the early round anchors with the FFPC stat attack. And I'm talking about, I mean, this little juicy metal riff actually, you know, person, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the the musification of this player, George Kittle, man, George Kittle. uh, This is a team built around the idea that he continues to do what he's been doing uh, for five straight seasons. Now it's easy to kind of forget how, I I mean, he's kind of maybe just been a hair under elite except for one season, but man, he's been so much more consistent than I think he's given credit for Dave. Since 2018, in five consecutive seasons, George Kittle has been the tight end three in PPR per game. Five straight seasons. Yeah, that's absurd. Five straight seasons. It's crazy. I mean, so, you know, you get into the year-end counting stats and you you missed half the season in 2020. And he's missed a couple games, um, you know, each year in 2019 and 2021 he's driven down an ADP to tight end five this season. You know, a lot of that due to people thinking that, okay, Kyle Pitts is going to take a step forward. We have the Mark Andrews explosion that actually uh, the material portion of, of his alpha production occurred without Lamar Jackson. Um, so that's interesting. We have to kind of adjust for that. Um, and Darren Waller being healthy, you know, so that, you know, there are other names that make sense to be in front of him. I'm not saying that those, those tight ends couldn't ultimately be the guys that break Kittles tight end three uh, per game streak in 2022. But that's not as if Kittles had the rosiest of situations in any of those prior seasons either. You know, I know that, you know, presumably there are more mouths to feed, you know, than ever in and, and San Francisco after Debo's, you know, breakout last season and I looking like maybe he's not washed after all. And, and we've got the quarterback change, but, I mean, Lance could come in and, and gel better with Kittle than any of the other guys. I mean, Kittle could come in and get 10 targets a game. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lower volume passing offense, but Kittle's one of the best yak attack guys at the position in the entire NFL. I mean, he's one of the only tight ends that can run away from you. Um, and so, you know, I, I just wanted to, to tip the cap to, the, to that consistency, uh, that consistent excellence uh, that George Kittle has, has brought to the table. And we hope that he'll bring it to our team in the FFPC best ball tournament. You can enter today at myffpc.com for 125 bucks, chase the $200,000 grand prize and try to get your own trophy and fat water cash, uh, for your finish there. Um, Dave, anything to add about Kittle's uh, production there before we review the team? I will just
1: say that Kittle has been one of those players that continues to just do what he does, regardless of what people want to think, regardless of what people think coming off of past seasons. Range of outcomes tool likes him, looks good enough in my projections. I would recommend that you draft George Kittle this year.
2: Okay, so let's run down, let's run down where we're at, man. We're on the clock at nine-five. How do we get here? Okay, so uh in the first round, uh, we we had the one five. We took Jamar Chase, we followed that up. Uh, and, and it was that's pretty standard. I mean, really, the only player we considered other than Chiefs would have been Kelsey at one six. Um, just adding a couple opportunity cost notes here for each round. Uh, Tyreek Hill at two eight coming back. Um, we'd opted to take Hill over any of the the running backs that are typically available in the into the second round, including Alvin Kamara, Javante Williams, Saquon Barkley. Um, just really felt like starting hot with those you know, potentially elite wide receivers was going to be super key for this team. And then the draft really took its turn in the third round at three, five. um, It it was a a weird run that occurred between two, eight and three, five. So we see AJ Brown and Mike Evans go at the corner, but then we don't see something you will usually see is T Higgins going right in that range too. Of course we already started with chase and so, we, what happens at 3 2 is James Conner, then Darren Waller, and then Leonard Fournette. So, we get to 3 5 and Higgins and Kittle are both sitting there. Keenan Allen's also a player that we discussed. Just, um, you know, we're talking about Kittle's consistency, talking about Allen's consistency. We're just trying not to whiff on that third round pick. But then when it came down to it, it's like, all right, you know, we already drafted Chase. You know, if we take Higgins, yes, it's exciting to have a couple pieces of that Bengals offense, but it puts immense pressure on us to reach around early for Joe Burrow in that scenario. And then also, you know, selecting Higgins in the third, you know, while it wouldn't be impossible for both him and Chase to finish as top 12 wide receivers, you know, we drafted Chase at 1-5 because we think he could finish as the wide receiver one. And if he does that, you know, Higgins probably ends up overdrafted in that range a little bit. Um, so we took Kittle who our range of outcomes tool actually has as the tight end one, both in medium and high end range of outcomes this year. And, and we already talked about the consistency. I I just want to spend a few more minutes here on Kittle because when you look at the ADP distribution of the other tight ends who are commonly considered, you know, elite or on the, on the doorstep of, of elite, you know, Kelsey's going. In, in the mid first his ADP is 5.1 over the last two weeks uh, at FFPC. You can check out all of this on rotavis.com and our FFPC ADP and exposure report tools. Mark Andrews is also a first round tight end, you know, ADP at 10.2. Kyle Pitts. Early to mid second, $7.26.1 going at that two, three turn. Kittle's available in the mid third. And I think, you know, Kelsey is the heavy in-house favorite to be the tight end one because, you know, he has the static situation there. Mahomes is back. You know, the other principal target getter and Tyree Hill leaves and we don't know really who is going to step up. So not only can we expect Kelsey to maybe continue doing what he's done in the past, but even if he were to take a little step back in terms of efficiency this year, finally, as he continues to age, that would likely be covered up with, with the volume. So that, that's fair. But Kittle, Waller, Pitts, Andrews, I don't think... I mean, it's hard to have much conviction over who's actually going to be the tight end, too. So to get, you know, a a two-and-a-half-round discount versus what you're getting in Mark Andrews at the end of the first round now, I mean, I was thrilled to get Kittle there. You know, I know we were a little bit back and forth on on whether that was the right call between him and Allen, but in the days that have passed since this pick, it's actually made me want to target Kittle even more Hmm. across other formats, so... Now, this is tight end premium, of course, so you got to take that into consideration. Dave, I mean, through those first three rounds, you know, it was Kittle the pivotal pick for you as well? Do you wish we had maybe taken Higgins or Allen? Uh, or are you where I'm at now after having some time to think about it?
1: It definitely would have been very fun to take Higgins. Um, but one of the things that I liked here and why I'm glad that we went Kittle is as the rosters continued to, to develop out after that, I feel like it's been conducive to us creating this really interesting structure to this team. I also think it helps to have in tight end premium that player like Kittle out of the way. And I'm also uh, a big fan of being able to get Kittle in that spot who could approximate the production of the other players that you mentioned. So I'm actually pretty pumped up about that. And um, like you, I have found myself after making this pick more inclined yeah. to go after Kittle. I yeah. also happened to be doing San Francisco's projection that day as well, um, oh, which boy. which helped out as well. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I I I liked that start, and I think that Kittle in this contest is a really nice piece to get on a team.
2: Yeah, I mean, Kittle famously had, I I, I believe it was a fifty-point week in Titan Premium, um, and and so you know we've got. Just three absolute stars capable of throwing that tournament-winning haymaker uh, in any given week, which is going to be really fun. Um, after the Kittle pick, you know, we've started two wide receivers and a tight end. Um, you know, probably thought we would have started that way, or perhaps with with three wide receivers, um, given the draft slot that we we selected or that we were given we started talking about Travis Etienne as a potential target in the fourth round. It's a long way to go. And he's a player that, uh, is a fast riser, you know, right now, um, he's actually commonly going in the third now. Um, but this wasn't the case about a week ago when we were in that part of the draft. And so Etienne goes about four picks before us. We then said, all right, well, maybe we'll take Brees Hall. Well, Brees Hall goes the pick before. So, so we get to 4-8. You know, Terry McLaurin has gone. DJ Moore has gone. The two running backs we had talked about uh, as potential targets there are gone. And so we're, we're kind of in a little bit of a no man's land. Um, you know, Had we not already selected Kittle, this is an area where maybe we would have said, ah, let's go a half around round early on somebody like TJ Hawkinson. Um, we were hoping to target Marquise Brown in the fifth, more on that in a few minutes, but that was really the only other receiver that we were, you know, super hot on in this area. So we decided to take a swing on one of the younger uh, running backs coming off of injury. And it was actually not JK Dobbins. We went cam Akers, and cam Akers is not a player that Dave or I have much exposure to. And we kind of going a little bit contrarian to our own player targets after that Kittle selection. You know, I think, you know the, the the thought with drafting akers is that you know he came back too early in 2021 over the course of the offseason he heals up and even if he doesn't turn to return to elite efficiency the fact that the, the rams will you know obviously be one of the in-house favorites to score the most touchdowns in the nfl again next year you know touchdowns are quirky and it could easily swing to a high volume rushing touchdown situation instead of a high volume passing touchdown situation. And, and that's what you're really trying to catch with a guy like Akers. Um, I still don't love the pick a couple of days later here, but we were also kind of like stuck there a little bit. You know, the other two backs that we could have considered would have been David Montgomery who went to pick after and JK Dobbins two picks after with Dobbins. You're contending with, you know, his injury being more recent and Lamar Jackson Um, And with Montgomery, you know, we have a regime change there in Chicago. So with Akers, we just felt like that was the most stable situation. And he also had the best shot of maybe, you know, becoming a new bell cow this year.
1: Yeah. So sometimes I I find, especially when I'm in these drafts in best ball, um, there's not going to be that selection where I say, all right, like this is 100% the absolute best pick right now i'm super excited about this player it's about finding a way to make them work within your roster so what i liked about this spot here was i think that this is of the running backs that were available one that you could make a very strong argument for having the most upside and then we could take the approach where later on we layer some other running backs that have somewhat of a pretty decent floor with some more upside, then close out that wide receiver core later. We already have the strong tight end, so let's kind of focus on that structure, get that upside running back, and it felt like Akers was the player that kind of fit that bill at that time.
2: He did. I think uh, I still kind of wish we had just reached on Marquise Brown. (laughs) <laughs> because, uh, I, I think it would it but, but I'm just, I'm really probably not going to have a ton of, of cam makers. Right. And, uh, so I, I like having, I like having a little here. And, and I think what we've done in the rounds that have followed, um, has made me feel a little bit better about that. So we, you know, we make the acres pick at four, eight. We're hoping that Hollywood Brown will get back to us at five, five he goes five, four. (laughs) So, so we're then, you know, then we're, you know, back in that same situation. And and I can't say enough about the level of competition in in some of these FFPC contests. So many of these players, I mean, they're just the sharpest of the sharp. Um, And this particular draft that we we drew, there are six other um, former FFPC uh, main event league winners. So this is a really stacked draft. And so yeah. we've just found every round that those values are not really dropping to us the way they might in, in one that was more uh, kind in the random sampling of of managers. Um, so at 5.5, five, you know, by ADP, kind of the clear guy, you know, would have been DK Metcalf. Uh, so he was on our, our list. He was in our queue we ended up taking maybe the 2022 version of, of DK Metcalf uh, on Russell Wilson's new team in Cortland Sutton Um, really just thinking that, you know, Hey, if we think these players probably have similar floors, assuming health Sutton probably has the higher ceiling and what, you know, at least has a chance to be a more exciting offense in Denver and, you know, clearly tied to the, to the better quarterback there uh it, how are you feeling about this one a couple of days out now Dave and are there any other players besides Metcalf that you wish we had considered there uh
1: yeah, hmm, hmm, this is a tough one um I still think I'm feeling pretty good about it although I mean I think that you can make a case you kind of reach a point and I know this is such like a wishy-washy blanket answer but I kind of reach a point where a lot of these guys feel kind of interchangeable. And with the amount of best ball that I'm playing, it's worth just getting these different constructions. Um, So there's something to me, I'm going to kind of maybe even waver off of the answer, but just having a construction at that point with Tyreek Hill, Cortland Sutton, Jamar Chase at wide receiver, you add in Cam Akers, um, you add in George Kittle and just seems like an interesting construction One that I don't have that much exposure to, so I don't hate it. And I do think that, um, you know, there's still some upside there for Sudden, like you said, you know, kind of doing a uh, 2022 version of DK Metcalf. So I don't hate it, Uh, although I'm not going to say I'm in love with that pick either. But when I look at, you know, some of the alternatives, I'm not sure that they really they might feel like they change things a whole lot. But in reality, they probably don't.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, really the only other thing to to do there would have been considering you're maybe pulling the trigger early on somebody like Lamar. If you really want to go unique and, and kind of have that uh you know potential overall QB one there, it wouldn't have made sense for us to take Mahomes without an early chief. And you know, in round six, we're thinking, okay, let's come back, let's get our wide receiver four. Our queue was full of Rashad Bateman, Juju Smith Schuster, and Brandon Cooks. They are three of the four picks before <laughs> our draft selection. Again, yeah. um, nothing getting by this crew. You know there were a couple other wide receivers in this range that we did at least talk about briefly. You know, Darn Darnell Mooney was also in the queue there. Yep, um, as was uh, Amari Cooper. Actually, was not in the queue, but we talked about him briefly. And this was right around the time that the twenty fourth, uh, the twenty fourth um, a- a- accuser uh, had been. Uh, revealed and the additional information around the Deshaun Watson case kind of coming to light. So we didn't really feel great about taking Amari there with even more uncertainty in Cleveland now. Dave and I, I don't know if Dave has a lot of Mooney. I have tons of Mooney um, and and was looking to just kind of keep this team a little bit different since we've already gone down that path. Right. So we, we opted for Clyde edwards um actually at the 6-8 here. You know, the idea being, you know, we already talked about, you know, Kelsey being the in-house favorite to to lead the team and in and, and targets just in a dominant fashion. Lots of room for the team to to maybe change up the offense a little bit. And, you know, the FC West just continues to get better as well. I mean, I think the Chiefs are gonna have to play to 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 keep up in games. You know, they did bring over Ronald Jones to kind of take on the the pounder role. I'm not so sure that the Chiefs are gonna be in ice it mode a ton this year. I mean, Russell Wilson's joined the division. Devontae Adams has joined the division. Um, The Chargers continue to get better and actually improve their defense as well. So, you know, I I like the idea that maybe Edwards is a post-type sleeper breakout uh, with more receiving work. And that's kind of the rationale behind this pick. Um, Dave, I know neither of us is huge on CEH. So (laughs) how are you feeling about this one right now?
1: I feel okay. Um, and the reason why you can feel okay about this, uh, well, I don't have that much CEH, but the reason I do want to have him on some teams, the Chiefs still should be one of the better teams in the league. I think Sans, Tyreek Hill, they're still a pretty good offense. Um, you can tell some compelling stories about why Edward Dallaire has to be more involved this year. I think you very easily see him get to a target share of 8% should get him about three receiving touchdowns. But I also think that just because Ronald Jones is there, it doesn't mean that he seeds that rushing share, um, you know, entirely. I still think that you could see him in that 30% range, which if the Chiefs are as good as I expect them to be still approximate maybe four or five rushing touchdowns for Edwards alaire on top of that, I would almost guarantee that there's at least two or three weeks where he's going to be a fairly exciting option when all is said and done on a best ball team. So I put all of that together and it's one of those picks that makes more sense. I think after we made this pick in the next, I kind of said, you know, we'll, we'll handle some of these situations away from wide receiver. And I'm feeling good about our prospects is still putting together a solid wide receiver core. So we missed on Mooney, some of the other names that you mentioned, but now we're at the point where we really have a unique construction, at least in, Perspective of my portfolio, probably yours as well. So, I can live with oh, it for
2: sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I I don't have hardly any cam makers or Ceh, let alone on the same squad. Uh, so, yeah, that that'll be interesting. Um, I think the the sad thing about you know this. This team doing well. If it didn't win, would also probably mean that
0: right. <laughs> my huge exposures <laughs> were not
2: doing well. So, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's some overlap, obviously, with the with the chase and and Tyreek uh, plays there, and I'm sure we'll find lots of similarity in in the later rounds as well. So we come back in the seventh round, we complete the first phase of a Cincinnati Bengals stack, adding Joe Burrow uh, to Jamar Chase, coming back into round eight we select a player who we talked about the other day uh, as we were going through Dave's running back projections in the initial run, Kareem Hunt coming in at RB 20 in that exercise. Happy to add him as our RB three here. Um, you know, still maybe a non-zero chance that, you know, he actually even would switch teams and potentially, you know, get even more volume. But, you know, he's shown that being the one B to Chubbs 1A, Nick Chubbs 1A uh, is still, you know, a, a lucrative Fantasy situation, so we're we're very balanced now. Heading into the ninth round, you know, eight picks in, we've got one quarterback, one tight end, and we're we're three deep both at running back and receiver. And now we're on the clock. So to kind of consider where we ought to go, Dave, here in the ninth round, I wanted to look maybe at rounds nine through twelve. Yep. Talk about the concentration of positions, and then figure out what does our team need to look like four rounds from now um and and then base this pick on that because we've got we've got a core but you know we're, we probably want to have at least two wide receivers in the next four rounds if not three um potentially consider our QB2 yep i don't think we need to grab our tight end to this early having gone kittle yep. but if a value were to emerge you know we could consider it
0: right. so
2: yeah, the, the, one, the, the thing that I like to do in these types of exercises is go in to our FFPC uh, ADP and Exposures tool, and you can look at ADP as a draft grid over any time frame that you set. So I've got it dialed up here for the last two weeks, and we can see that the average pick uh, at 9.5 is Derek Carr. Um, and some of the other players that typically go in this range are Christian Kirk, Tyler Lockett, Chase Edmonds, Russell Gage, Mike Gesicki, Kadarius Tony. That's what the available players to us in the ninth round typically look like, and I'm not seeing any players that typically go in this the eighth um, available to us here at wide receiver. Um, however, at running back, um, James Cook has been gaining some steam. Uh, is actually going with the eight hundred one over the last two weeks, and he's still available here at nine five. Um, not that we want to look at running back, but I just thought that I would point it out. Yep, uh, because it's interesting. So uh, I guess if we want to start with you know receiver in this round, um, our options really are looking at you know Lockett, Engage, and Tony by ADP, and none of those guys necessarily stick out to me. I think there's stories I could tell myself on all all three of them. Does anyone stick out or do you want to talk about those other rounds before we come back?
1: I don't think as I'm looking at uh, the wide receivers, there is anybody that really stands out. Is that differentiated from the other players? I think I know where I would like to go with this pick, but why don't we continue going through the exercise and then we'll see if we've kind of both lined up in the same place after we make our way through that that full pass.
2: Okay. Um, so in the 10th round over the last two weeks, you know, we've got Chase Claypool, Kirk Cousins, Rojo, and Damian Pierce. Uh, neither player really makes sense probably for this team. Um, some potential breakout tight ends that, uh, you know, if we wanted to go early on tight end two and then definitely stop at two, prob- uh, or I guess most probably start stop at two um, with the idea that Kittle would make it into our starting lineup as a flex often. Um, you know, that's an option. And, uh, two of the guys that I have a little exposure to in, in the 10th round are Cole Komet and Albert okoye Um, Alan Lazard is a player that you and I've talked a a good bit about and I, you know, highly exposed to, I'd be interested in him in the 10th, um, or potentially even in the ninth if we had to reach, um, Melvin Gordon goes in the 10th over the last two weeks. He's still available here. Chris Alave, Robert Woods, and Garrett Wilson. So it's a very balanced 10th round, only one quarterback. Uh, you do start to get into that next layer of tight ends. And so I think as we look into rounds 11 and 12, the theme really becomes that if we don't select a tight end in one of these next two rounds, probably we might as well just wait till the end of the draft. Cause we're going to get through really almost all of those TE twos round 11, Dave um, this is where that next layer of quarterbacks comes in. We see Justin Fields to a, uh, and uh, Deshaun Watson all going there. I will note that Deshaun Watson's sliding really fast. Um, and if I were to update this again in a week, he's probably looking more like a, a 13th or 14th round pick. He's really sliding lately. Um, we have Tyler Boyd, um, who would be interesting uh, to deepen our Bengal stack there. Michael Gallup and Christian Watson, Noah Fant. Uh, and then in the 12th round, Four tight ends in the mix there. Gerald Everett, David Njoku, Hunter Henry, Tyler Higbee. Um, Blair just wrote a focus article on Isaiah Spiller. Uh, he's available there in the 12th, uh, 12th round, as is our boy, Daryl Henderson. Um, though we don't necessarily want to back up uh, Cam Akers on this squad. So that kind of gives you a picture of the next four rounds. It really is balanced in terms of the, you know, the positional focus, I guess, um, in this, in this range it it really makes a lot of sense because teams are starting to kind of patch in those holes that have developed as they've gone in on a position or two, um, earlier in the draft, Dave.
1: Yes, for sure. So when I'm looking at this, as we start talking about the tight ends, um, and with the way that this league is structured with the tight end premium, I am open here to considering getting that strong tight end too, maybe capping things there. Uh, As a result of spending some time with the roster construction explorer, I actually actually talked about this on a solo pod um, that I did this year. And I think we might have talked about on the shows at some point. Um, Things do point towards wanting to actually have a pretty solid backup quarterback, even if you do have a quarterback at Joe Burrows level. I see Aaron Rodgers, uh, Kirk Cousins. And did we say that Derek Carr is still available Uh, No, Carr is gone.
2: No, he's he's just the pick at our, he's the Uh, average pick at 905. He's just no longer there. Right.
1: So I see those two quarterbacks personally. I would like to get one of them on there as I think that that will help to juice our win rate to some degree. I wouldn't be opposed to going with the quarterback here coming back with whichever tight end seems like they have the most upside, then we would definitely have to turn our attention towards wide receiver with the two picks after that. But I don't think that what we're giving up in terms of opportunity cost with wide receiver there is as great as it might be with what we're giving up if we forego quarterback and tight end.
2: Yeah, that's that's interesting. It, and so what we're finding by having this conversation is, is this going to be a two or three quarterback team? Yeah. Uh probably. Because if if we're gonna take a Rogers or a Cousins here, then then there's really no point in in you know worrying about if we're gonna have to, you know, reach on Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields a couple of rounds from now. Right. Um, but you would probably, you know, with those guys, you know, I think either one of them could take that exciting kind of Burrow esque leap in year two um that we're now we've now had to pay a premium for. So you know, I would be fine with somebody like Cousins. I know um Minnesota's gonna be a more pass focused offense this season. I'd be looking to maybe get somebody like KJ Osborne oh, um, yeah. cheaper yeah. later in the draft, I think would be you know an option. You know, he could he could do Van Jefferson type things, I think in the context of this Ram style offense. Um initially I was thinking of these rounds maybe trying to stack Justin Fields and Cole Komet um within these four. That's rounds.
1: interesting too, yeah.
2: And then and then maybe just take one basically take one at each position uh over these next four rounds. We could, you know, we could go chase Edmonds here uh at at running back in the ninth round, come back in the tenth with Cole Komet. In the 11th, we would need to take Fields. And then in the 12th, you know, we'd be looking at maybe Jamison Williams uh, Marquez Valdes-Scantling, uh, maybe even a Jarvis Landry or Jacoby Myers. I think the big player that I would want to pick your brain on, that maybe we would just want to reach and have a potential breakout player at wide receiver four would be Alan Lazard, because when you look at Tyler Lockett, Russell Gage, and Kadarius Tony, you know Lockett, you know even if he is the Seattle wide receiver one, what is that really going to be worth? you know, when Geno Smith's your quarterback and and Russell Gage as the eventual wide receiver three in Tampa, I think he will have some big games, but he's yep. not Antonio Brown. Yep. I mean, I, I, I don't think he would probably be a wasted pick, but I don't see him being able to, you know, finish as a top 18 wide receiver and, and you know, ditto with Kadarius Tony. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has already said that You know, he's looking forward to Alan Lazard getting his chance as a wide receiver one after doing all the dirty work the last couple of years. So, I mean, he might not be able to do, he might not be capable of of functioning in that way, but someone is going to be the Packers wide receiver one. Now, in your projections that you put together that didn't end up ultimately being all that valuable. Uh, we didn't see any Green Bay wide receivers inside the top 36 actually at the position. It's yep. just hard for me to fathom that Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have a top 36 wide receiver though. Um, and right. doesn't mean it couldn't happen, but so, so to me, that's like the one player that I see on the board where I'm just like, you know, man, this might be an opportunity to get a potential league winner there, but I could also end up with just you know, a pocket full of of dust from all my Lazard shares. So I, I don't right. want to be I don't want to be too heavy here.
1: Well I think that this is what happens when you think about a player like Lazard inside an offense like Green Bay. Um you can't project him in a what's supposed to be like realistic scenario even Although I, I will say, like, even if you're doing baseline projections, they're still kind of like a best case scenario in a way in that you're not as you don't know all of these terrible things that could happen. So you can't bake them in. Um, but you're still not going to put Lazard at like, you know, 10 or 11 touchdowns like a Devonte Adams type of season. So that that lowers him down. You're probably also not going to thrust a player like that into, you know, a 26, 28 percent target share. You don't really know how things are going to play out. So you'd have to put him somewhere in the low 20s. As a result of that, you're not going to have that wide receiver one in Green Bay coming out in a model, you know, of projections built like this that high. I would be drafting him a lot higher than I would project him because of that upside that you're speaking about. So I do find myself taking him a fair amount, and I actually think that uh, a good thing that we pointed that out because when I said I did not see much differentiation at the position before. I do think that the amount of upside that Lazard owns is not commensurate with the other players here. He is kind of the standout in that regard. So I would be completely fine if we wanted to build him in here. Also, keeping in mind that our wide receiver core at this point isn't as strong as it might be on some teams that I might have. Now, I could see some people coming back and saying, well, if it's not as strong as you might normally have, wouldn't you want to get one of these players that might have a little bit more safety like a Robert Woods perhaps, or I don't know who their example would be, but I would actually rebut and say that with what we're looking to do in a tournament like this, no, we want that player that can have that upside. We're weighting that in higher to our decision than we are the safety, especially at this point in your draft, right? Like I think at this point you're moving over pure floor plays because earlier on in the draft, you're getting guys that have floor and ceiling. I think that conversation has kind of changed now
2: yeah I think that's right um and the other I guess the other issue I have if we're finding some agreement that Lazard is the upside player available here and knowing that we've been sniped three times already
1: right I would say we do this is a this is a strong strong room that we're in right now mistakes are not played are not made players do not slip,
2: yeah, and so you know, I'm the biggest Tyler Lockett fan, probably other than Matt Harmon ever, uh, in the industry, (laughs) but you know, just, just thinking about, you know, just thinking about this collection of wide receivers here that's available, you know, I I don't really have to, I don't know. I've just become very comfortable with the idea, um, or, or perhaps the eventual reality that, Alan Lazard's probably going to score double digit touchdowns and have at least 900 receiving yards. So, you know, he, he might approximate Cortland Sutton's production um. except, you know, we're going to get him at a, you know, five round discount versus what we paid for, for Sutton. So I kind of like this. It takes the pressure off of us um, to, to force in, you know, a, a Michael Gallup or yeah. a Rondell Moore that we're not excited about. A couple of rounds later, like I'll actually be excited to click this one in. Um, it sounds like you were open to the idea of that bear stack, um, but I also think the quarterbacks could slide here a little bit. It would not shock me to see uh, Kirk Cousins still available in the tenth round if we wanted to come back and and call his name. But if he if he were to go we could go with Comet and then follow with, with fields in the 11th. So uh, are, are we good with this plan? We're going to lock Lazard in here.
1: Yeah, I am. And then there's also a real small outside chance that Rogers would still be around and we could stack him up. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen. I, but I don't want to extend,
2: extend the show um, too much, but like R- Rogers brilliance, um, is is evident, and so I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm not knocking him, but I mean this this will objectively be the weakest surrounding receiving core that he's ever had. Like at least, you know, at least when when Jordy the year that Jordy got injured, and we finally you know, saw Devontae you know get that volume forced his way. Yep. Um, you know, he was a former second round pick that had already had you know pretty high snap share. I mean, the team got rid of you know MVS and you know, if if they had known that Adam was was going to leave, I don't know that 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 probably would have happened. And and Watson just is not coming to the table with the same, you know, college production pedigree that you know Adams had at that time when the, when they had that last transition. So, I, I think that Green Bay is going to be very happy to run the ball a lot, yep. um, and keep games close and use Aaron Jones, use AJ Dillon. I mean. I think Aaron Rodgers could have a weird season where he throws 35 touchdowns, but doesn't even have 4,000 passing yards.
1: So what um, you're saying is you don't think that former first-rounder Sammy Watkins is going to come in there and <laughs> turn things
2: yeah. around? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, like, I, yeah. I, I, it would be great. I mean, that'd be really funny. Uh, it, it'd be great for him if if that happened. But I, I just, uh, I have interest in Lazard because he would be Rodgers' primary target. Yeah. And that's the reason for the play, but I actually I mean, I would way rather have I would way rather just have Naked Fields or Naked Trevor Lawrence than than Aaron Rodgers because it's just easier for me to see them adding the rushing value and being part of a, you know, a breakout that requires passing in order for the team to take a step forward whereas the Packers have been good for many seasons kind of slowing it down of late and now that be have even more reasons to do it so um yeah we'll see but that all of that being said 10th round rogers is a pretty good discount so maybe you'll be able to talk me into it
1: right and i the final thought this isn't anything uh like additional to add but that i think would be a really interesting experiment i might take some time looking at uh like if you take a low level for Rogers, what you need like that breakout for fields, for example, to look like to be able to like pass him uh, in terms of points per game or something like that, just to see like how plausible of a scenario that is when you actually work out the numbers.
2: I think it'd be great to do with fields uh, Tua, and Lawrence because they all go in that area. Yep. And you know, it's, it, you know the the car rogers cousins tier is definitely you know uh, safer in terms of uh, uh risk but I'm just what is their actual upside it's probably like Qb9 or something like that right um, whereas you know fields fields or Lawrence and you know in particular you know we could be looking at you know maybe they could they could approximate you know Qb7 Qb six could could they do what hertz has done? Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would love to see what you would come up with, uh, in that experiment. So let, let us know, let the listeners know if you do that. So that's where we're at. We'll come back and, and update, uh, you know, the listening audience. And after we've made a, a few more picks on this squad, but where we're sitting now, we've got Burrow at quarterback, Akers, edwards Zulaire, and Hunt at running back, Sutton, Lazard, Chase, and Tyreek at wide receiver and George Kittle at tight end. Sounds like a winner to me.
1: Thank you for listening to the Roto-Viz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com.